Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Derek O'Reilly, and for over 30 years I've been a licensed London taxi driver. For 20 years, I taught the knowledge to prospective London cab drivers. During this podcast, I'm going to be joined by experts who are going to bring the forgotten and secret history of London to life. Today, I'm going to be joined by somebody who's going to tell me more about the area I actually live in, Bloomsbury in London. My name's Diane Burstein, and I'm a qualified London Blue Badge tour guide. My website is www.secretlondonwalkingtours.co.uk. So have a look at that to find out about the tours I do. And if you would like to contact me and join my mailing list, it's Diane, D-I-A-N-E, at secretlondonwalkingtours.co.uk. You can also follow me on TikTok, Twitter, and that is at Guide Diane. Well, hello once again, Diane. Hello, lovely to be back. Right, now I thought what I'd do today, I want to talk about where I live, which is the area of Bloomsbury and Holborn. Um, what can you tell me about the area? Okay, well, Bloomsbury as an area, um, the name comes from Blemonsbury, who was a man called William de Blemond, who came over with William I or William the Conqueror back in the 11th century. So it was Blemond's land originally. That's how we get Bloomsbury. And it was one of those areas that wasn't built up until the middle of the 17th century. But it took quite a long time to build it up. Now, by the 17th century, you had various landowners. You had the Earl of Southampton. So that's why you see his name pop up in some places. And he started developing the land. And then he got married to a member of the Duke of Bedford's family. So today, the main landowner in Bloomsbury is the Duke of Bedford. So that's why we've got Bedford Square, for example. Ah, that's why I was just about to ask you that. And of course, we've got Southampton Row, which drives straight through the middle of the area. That's right, yes. Um, What about Russell Square? I absolutely love Russell Square. Well, Russell Square, once again, the name comes from the Duke of Bedford because the Duke of Bedford's family name is Russell. So that's why we've got Russell Square. And it's actually the newest of the Bloomsbury squares because the right. oldest of the Bloomsbury squares is Bloomsbury Square but everything there was rebuilt so that was started off in the 1760s in the 1660s but everything has been rebuilt since the 1660s and then we've got Russell Square which was the last grand square which was laid out in the 1820s and we've still got some of the Georgian houses yes. there but the Victorians decided that they were going to make improvements 
elements. So if you go to Russell Square, you'll see around the windows, you have these terracotta tiles yeah, that were yeah. added by the Victorians because they felt that the Georgian architecture was rather dull. Right. And then on one side of the square, you've got the hotels, some of them 20th century because of wartime bombing. So there's a wonderful sign that says to the Turkish baths. I'm sure you've yes, noticed yeah, it on the when you there. come around the corner yeah, from, from Russell Guildford Square Street, yeah. Station. But actually, the Turkish baths aren't there any longer, but they used to be inside one of the hotels, the Imperial Hotel, which of course was rebuilt. Yeah, so uh, that Turkish path you won't find, but it's a lovely old sign. And then the older hotel that survived was a very grand hotel, which is now called the Kimpton. Kimpton it's had quite Fitzrovia a few. The Kimpton Fitzrovia. Yeah. Well, yes, it, although it isn't in Fitzrovia, which no, is a little, bit, a little bit confusing. But then it's the same. I mean, you were mentioning Hoban. There's another hotel around the corner from Hoban Station called Oscars after Oscar Wilde, who didn't have any connection with that area no. whatsoever. So people give these hotels names yeah. that they think Well, they change. I mean, good. I was in the... Well, I caught... I still call it the Russell the Hotel, Russell, but it's yes, the Kimpton exactly. Fitzrovia. Um, yeah. Or Fitzroy, actually. I was in there the other week and the, I was absolutely stunned by the interior decor. It's beautiful. Well, I, I think you probably know this, but the interior, the hotel was designed by a man called Charles Fitzroy Doll. And that would be why they've called it the Fitzroy, ah, actually, right, because in, yeah. it's not nowhere near Fitzrovia, but yeah. Fitzroy Doll was the architect. And Charles Fitzroy Doll, um, he designed this very grand interior. And he also designed the interior of the Titanic, the ill-fated ship that sank wow, in 1912. So the hotel claims that the Titanic interior was based on the interior of the hotel oh, there, the Russell story. Hotel. And another thing that I've heard is that the expression all dolled up came from Mr Fitzroy Doll because he didn't design plain buildings. Well, like many of the Victorian architects, yeah. there's a lot of decoration on the exterior of that building. And one thing that a lot of people don't notice, because it's way up, above your sight line. But if you stand on the opposite side of the road and look up, you'll see statues of four queens. And two of them, there are statues elsewhere of. One is Queen Elizabeth I and one is Queen Anne. But there are two that we don't have statues of on the streets of London. So people might say, well, we don't have a statue of these two, but we do. It's just you haven't noticed them before. And one is... Queen Mary, Mary Tudor, Mary I, and the other one is Mary II, who reigned jointly with her husband, William, William of Orange. So these are on top of the hotel? Yeah, if you stand across I the road to. looking at the front entrance and you look up, you will see the queens there. I will have to do that. That is terrible observation. Because from Mary me, isn't II, it? I mean, you go to Kensington Palace where she lived with her husband, William of Orange, William III, oh, yeah. and you'll see his statue in front of the place, but you won't see hers. And yet she was the one who was going around supervising the builders and chivying up Sir Christopher Wren because she didn't think that his builders were building her new home quickly enough. And yet she's nowhere to be seen outside Kensington Palace. But there she is, very high up in Bloomsbury on the Russell I will Hotel. Look next time I'm there.
I take yes. the dog there for a walk some morning, so I will definitely check it out. Now, another thing about the area, um, obviously, we've got the British Museum. No, yes. We can't talk about Bloomsbury without mentioning the British Museum and the yes. gallery at the back, the Edward VII Gallery. That's right, yes. Well, the British Museum came about in the middle of the 18th century, 1753, and it was the idea of a man called Sir Hans Sloan. If you go to Chelsea, there are many streets named after him. You see Hans and yeah. Sloan Square. And he was the lord of the manor over in Chelsea. And he, like many 18th century gentlemen, collected cabinets of curiosities. And they included all sorts of things that you can see today in the Enlightenment galleries if you go there. So, for example, he collected shoes from all over the world. He collected early telescopes and microscopes because he was into science. And he wanted people to be able to see his collection after he died. So, he left it to the nation. And that's why the British Museum is free of charge. They'd probably love to charge, but they can't. And this is the case with a lot of the free museums because the people who founded them said, no, we want our collections to be seen free of charge. But he did want a little bit of money to go to his daughters. So they had a lottery. The lottery isn't a new thing. And they did raise around £20,000 to give to the daughters. And he wanted that museum to be in his manor house, which has gone now, but it was down on the Chelsea embankment, right. Cheney Walk, yeah, in yeah. that area. And at the time, Chelsea was a little village in West London, and the powers that be thought, well, nobody's going to go out there. So they'd been left this house called Montague House, which was in Bloomsbury, and they thought Montague House would be not right in the centre of London, but more central, yeah, easier enough. for people to get to. So that's how it came to be there, the British Museum, in Montague House. But once Sir Hans Sloane's collection was there on display, other people started leaving their collections to the nation as well. And in the end, a new building was needed. So the building that you see today when you go to the frontage, that's yes. designed by a guy called Robert Smirk. And that's this grand classical building, which was completed in the mid-1840s. But then when you go to the back, you've got the King Edward VII extension, yes. which was actually opened by King George V because oh, Edward okay. VII was die <laughs> had died by the time it was completed. Yeah. So um, you have that entrance that you can go through as well. And then when you're in the museum, of course, you've got artefacts from all over yeah, the world today. Yeah. You've got the mummies, you've got the Rosetta Stone. And in the centre is something that's been hidden for a while, but hopefully it will come out for us all to see soon. And that's the reading room. And the round reading room is one of the most beautiful rooms in London. And it's a sin that it's been covered up because they've been using it for special exhibitions because they ran out of exhibition space. Right. But it's hoped that soon it will be seen again. But that reading room was part of the British Library, which, of course, today is at St Pancras. Yes, yeah. They, and yeah, that moved. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That moved, of course, relocated in the 1990s because they have a copy of everything that's ever published. Mm. And there was Newspapers enough. as well. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There wasn't enough room. Well, the newspaper paper library was separate in Collindale but that's yeah. now that's now gone yeah. so um 
everything went over to the British Library at St Pancras and then that room was mothballed. But when the room was there for people to read, they would get their reader's ticket and then they would go along to the reading room where they would request the book they wanted. And it would take a very long time to come and you couldn't <laughs> take the books away with you. So you were sitting there waiting and waiting and sometimes it got dark outside and the light didn't flood into the building anymore. And by the time you got your book, it was too right, dark so to read it. Purpose, so really. it wasn't ideal. But you did get a number of writers who would go in there to write. In fact, everybody who was anybody went there. So Charles Dickens, Thomas Hardy, George Bernard Shaw, who left a lot of money in his will to the British Library and the British Museum. Okay. Karl Marx was there writing Das Kapital. I'm going to come back to literary Bloomsbury in a, in a yes. minute because it's yeah. obviously one of the things the area is famous for. Yeah. Just a few other little questions that I've got for you. Um, Mecklenburg Square. Yes, where does the name come from? Well, it comes from Queen Charlotte, who was the wife of George III, and she was Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Strelitz in Germany. So that's where we get the name from. And when that square was laid out, King George III was on the throne. Um, that was laid out in the very early 1800s, so 1811 to 1813. And that wasn't on the Duke of Bedford's estate, actually. That was part of the land that was owned by the Foundling Hospital, which was a children's We'll come home. on to that in a minute and as well. And they got, um, uh, there was an architect called Joseph Kay, who also was responsible for designing Greenwich Town Centre. And he was the person who laid out that square. And the reason you've got two squares on either side of where the Foundling Hospital used to be, um, you've got Brunswick Square and you've got Mecklenburg Square, is because he didn't want, he realised, uh, well, the, the governors of the Foundling Hospital realised that there was going to be building all around this children's home if they didn't do something. So the idea was to create these squares with a garden in the centre. Right. Now, you mentioned uh, Brunswick Square. Yes. And obviously, we can't pass by without talking about the Brunswick Centre. Yeah. I mean, it's very sort of controversial even now. Yes. Architecturally, yeah. because it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the area as such, does yeah, it? Yeah, but it's a listed building. And it there's is, quite yeah. a few estates that look like that in the London borough of Camden that are very well thought of. And in fact, Patrick, Patrick Hodgkinson, who was the original architect, he was brought back in to do what he originally wanted to do. Because remember that all the concrete was exposed and it looked very brutalist. Yes. And and they did make it look a lot better and sort of smartened it up Brunswick yeah. Square. Yeah. And uh, did you know the famous person who was brought up in uh, those flats there? No. Catherine Tate. The oh, sorry, tell a lie. Right. I sort yes. of did, yes. I, I, I yeah. had heard that, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. she was brought up. And it was a council estate originally, but of course under right to buy, a lot of people yeah. have bought those flats, so it's a mixture now. But the Brunswick Centre you've got on one square with that wonderful cinema, which is now a Curzon cinema. Yeah, it it's was had a various for a while, yeah. names. That's yeah. right, the, uh, the Renoir uh, Cinema. Yeah. And uh, I, I quite like those flats, actually, because everything in Brunswick Square is not the original. And the knocking down the Georgian houses started a long time ago. So in the 1930s, they built the school of pharmacy that you have there yeah. on one side of the square. And that's got the blue plaque to several members of the Bloomsbury set who would have lived in the houses there when the Georgian houses 
were still there. And then in the corner, you've got my one of my favourite museums in London, which is the Foundling Museum. Mine too. Museum. So I'll tell you what we'll do. Yes. You tell me. I mean, I've been in there twice now. Mm. Um, I know the, the, the sort of story of it, but you, you, for, for my benefit, repeat it because okay. that's fascinating. Well, the Foundling Hospital, as it was known, was founded by a man called Captain Thomas Coram. But the name hospital wasn't just used for a place to go when you're ill. The hospital could be a school, it could be an old age home, it could be an orphanage. And so this was not actually an orphanage. It was mostly for children who were born out of wedlock. And Thomas Coram, whose statue stands in front of the museum, he had been living in America And he returned home to London in the mid-18th century. He was very shocked by what he saw. He saw abandoned children on the streets. And they had been abandoned by their mothers because the children had been born out of wedlock and the mothers couldn't afford to look after those children. So his idea was to found a children's home where those children would go and live. And he had difficulty raising the money because people thought that, well, if you give money to something like this, it will be encouraging for women to have children out of wedlock. Mm. And so what he did is he went to the top. He realised he would get to the rich men through their wives. And at the time, King George II was on the throne. So he went to his wife, Queen Caroline, and told her the story of these poor children. So she then went to her husband and said, you must give a Royal Charter to this organisation. Yeah. The charter's still available to view because right. I saw it when I was there. Yeah. And they started off in Hatton Garden, as you may know, and then they moved into this purpose-built hospital which stood where there is an open space and playing fields today right, yeah. and there's just a colonnade that remains in front of where the hospital was because it was demolished in the 1920s. Now, once it was there, so many people wanted to send their children there that they had to bring in a lottery system. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You would draw a colored ball out of a box. Incredible. You put your hand in the box and it was a wooden box so you yeah. couldn't see the balls. If you've got a white ball, your child was in. If you got a black ball, your child was out. If you got a red ball, your child went on the waiting list in case any of the white ball children died. So it was quite a tough system. And then you said farewell to your child at the gates, but you had to leave a token. And the yeah. token, if you go down Marchmont Street, you'll see these little tokens in the pavement as part of an artwork. You also see oh, them yes, that were they there in the for? museum. Right. Yeah. That's right. And the women didn't have much money. So you'd get something like a piece of material and you'd cut it in half and you left half with the Foundling Hospital and you kept half. This was so that if suddenly you found yourself in a position where you could support the child, maybe you'd got married, you'd settled down to a blameless life, you hadn't had any more yeah. illegitimate <laughs> yeah. children, you came back and you said, I'd like my child back. They had renamed your child to give the child a new start in life after one of the governors. So there'd be lots of little quorums, but also little handles right. and hogarths after right. handle and hogarth. Yeah, talking who were... of uh, handle and hogarth, there's some lovely artwork in there, That's isn't there? right, Some yes. fantastic pet paintings in mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So, yes, you have the artwork by Handel and by Hogarth, who were the governors of the hospital. So, for example, Handel would put on a concert of Messiah every year and the money went to the hospital. Hogarth would put on art exhibitions and he'd say to his fellow artists, come on, give us an artwork free of charge. OK, you're not getting paid for this, but all these rich people are going to come and have a look at it and then they might ask you to do a painting of their right, family. So yeah. you've got paintings by people like Gainsborough and Reynolds, all the yeah. top artists of the day. And these were the first examples of raising money for charity through the arts, oh, which right. we have all the time today. They'd done it overseas. They'd been doing it in places like Paris for a while, but they hadn't done it here. So, you know, we've all been to a charity concert. Yeah. Well, Handel started it. And to go back to the story of the little tokens, when the mums came back, to claim their children, they would come with their bit of material or half a coin and then the two would be matched together to prove that this woman really I was wonder, the mother did of a lot that of, child. Did a lot of women come back to claim their child? No, I think it only happened about once or twice a year oh, that right, the mothers were reunited yeah. with their children. It was it was very, very sad, sad yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So moving on, I don't think we can talk about Bloomsbury without mentioning its literary heritage That's and some right. of the great writers associated with the area. Yes. Well, um, of course, you can't mention literary London without mentioning Charles Dickens. No. And if you go into Tavistock Square, you've got the headquarters of the British Medical Association. That building by Edwin Lutyens was built on the site of Dickens' last official home in London. I say official home because when he went back to Kent, whenever he was writing a book, he'd rent rooms in London because London was his inspiration. But he was living in this large house. He was now very well off and it had a small theatre 
in oh, it right. as well. Because there is a plaque on the wall telling That's you that. That's right. It yeah. tells you that this was Dickens' last yeah. home in London. And he was really a frustrated actor if he hadn't become really? successful as a writer. He actually arranged an audition at the Royal Covent Garden Theatre, which was where the Opera House is today. But on the day of the audition, he got sick and he couldn't go. Oh, wow. And really, drama's lost was literature's yeah. gain. And he was one of the few writers to be able to give up the day jobs straight away because he'd worked as a court reporter and a parliamentary reporter because his books, which were all published in serial form, were really, really popular. It was the popular literature of the day. And he still wanted to put on plays. And so he'd get together with the another author, Wilkie Collins, who was a friend of his, and they would write these plays. And then they would get their friends and family to perform in this little theatre. So that oh, was in that building. Story. And it was through doing these plays. Uh, on one occasion, they hired professional actresses, and that was where he met his mistress, Ah, Ellen Turnan. Because there's details of that in his house or his museum now in Doughty Street. That's right, yes. It wasn't known about for a long time that he was having this secret affair. And then he made a big mistake. He bought a bracelet for Ellen and he went to the engravers and had it engraved to my darling Nellie. And the jeweller was supposed to wait for Dickens to come back and collect it. But he thought he'd do him a favour and send it round to the house. And I always think it's like that scene in Love Actually, the famous scene when Emma Thompson gets the box that she's seen her husband buying jewellery and she picks jewellery for me and she opens it up and it's a Joni Mitchell CD. Well, similar thing happened to Mrs Dickens in that she thinks, oh, a box from the jeweller for me. She opens it up. To my darling Nellie, my name's Catherine, what's this? And, of course, she discovered Uh, the affair affair. and confronted Dickens. She wasn't a woman to turn a blind eye. And then they separated. But it was all kept quiet because his first biography was written by his best friend. So it wasn't a Watson and all biography. But then later people discovered the truth about Dickens. So there's been a film as well with Rafe Fiennes as Dickens and Felicity Jones played the part of Ellen. Ah. So, um, Now, I've noticed, I know he, he wasn't sort of associated greatly with the area, but there is a plaque to J.M. Barry I've seen. That's right, yes, to J.M. Barry. That's very near to Russell Square it Station. Is, yeah. Yes, so he stayed there for a while, although he spent most of his time living near Kensington Gardens yeah. because that's where he met the family, the Llewellyn Davis family, that he wrote his famous novel Peter Pan for. But, of course, we've got another Peter Pan connection in the area Go on, because tell me more. I'm sure you know that he left the performing oh, yes. rights of the play yeah. to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Yes. And if you go to Great Ormond Street Hospital, you might know that outside Great Ormond Street Hospital, there is a small statue of Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Everyone knows the statue in Kensington Gardens. Not many people know that one. And then if you look at the flower beds around it, you will see that there's a little inscription that says that this was unveiled by... Audrey Callaghan, who was the wife of James Callaghan, Prime Minister. And do you know that the ashes of James Callaghan and his wife are scattered in that flower bed? So I the most unusual that, resting place for a Prime Minister oh, has to wow. be That's the flower story. bed outside Great Ormond I Street. I never ever knew Hospital. that, and I walked past there 
probably once well, a day. Well, it doesn't tell you that the ashes no, are No, obviously they, not, no. The, uh, the, uh, the ashes oh, are nice there, yes. And because when they unveiled a memorial in Westminster Abbey to James Callaghan, and then there were various articles that did mention that the ashes were over at Great Ormond Street right. Hospital. And, of course, J.M. Barry. He wanted this. And then in the 1970s, Peter Pan went out of copyright. But an act was passed to say that people have to continue to give money from any production of Peter Pan to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Oh, what a lovely story. So moving on, I know that there are some writers who are really associated with the Bloomsbury area, the yes, Bloomsbury set. Yes, Can you tell right. me a little bit about that group? Well, the Bloomsbury set started off actually with a group of men who went to Cambridge University and they considered themselves to be the brightest and the best. And like a lot of people who've been to college, they wanted to continue their college life when they left um, university, when they left Cambridge, came up to London. But everybody had gone home to mum and dad and were living with their parents. But there was one chap who was called Toby Stephen and his parents had died. So he and his brother Adrian and his two sisters, Virginia and Vanessa, they were living over in Bloomsbury. So he wasn't living in the parental home. So he said to his friends from Cambridge, come round to my place. You can come every Thursday and we'll discuss art and literature and ideas just like we did when we were at Cambridge. And those men included John Maynard Keynes, who was a famous economist, Lytton Strachey, who was a writer, and he wrote biographies of people like Florence Nightingale and members of the royal family. So um, now you've got writers in this group, but you've also got women in the group because there's Virginia and Vanessa. And when Virginia got married to Leonard Wolfe, of course, she became better known as Virginia Woolf. And soon, every Thursday, you had this group of people that had widened. And on the fringes of the Bloomsbury set, you had people turning up at their soirees like D.H. Lawrence, the author, H.G. Wellesley and Forster. So it widened, but they weren't the main members of the group. Now, the famous quotation about the Bloomsbury set is that they wrote in circles, lived in squares and loved in triangles. Yeah, I have heard that. what everybody remembers about them today, as well as their work, is their love lives. And they wouldn't consider themselves, they wouldn't have said we're the Bloomsbury set any more than you and your friends who live in Bloomsbury would call yourselves the Bloomsbury set, but it was the people writing about them that called them the Bloomsbury set. And they were more often than not, not writing about their novels or their artwork, but they were writing about their relationships. And just to give you an example of one of the complicated relationships, you had um, Lytton Strachey, for example, and Lytton Strachey was gay, but there was a woman called Dora Carrington who was a member of the group, and she fell in love with Lytton Strachey. And although the love wasn't requited, they got on well. They were good friends. So... She moved in with Lytton and this was in their country home because these people were well off. They had country homes as well. Oh, so the Bloomsbury area would have been their London residence. So they lived in Bloomsbury, their London homes. And so then, um, so she lives with Lytton and then um, she gets married to a man called Ralph Partridge. But instead of going out to move with Ralph, he comes and moves (laughs) in as well. And then he starts to have an affair with a woman called Frances Marshall. So... She moves in as well. So you've got 
those four together. And then over in Sussex, you've got a farmhouse called Charleston Farmhouse, which is rented on a long-term lease by Vanessa Bell, who's Virginia Woolf's sister. And she's an artist. And during the First World War, most of the men in the group were conscientious objectors. And if you were a conscientious objector, you could be sent to prison. But sometimes you were let off prison if you went and did something like going to work on the land. Right, OK. So yeah. one of the groups, this guy called Duncan Grant, who's a painter, gets told, go and go and cultivate the land. So he asked Vanessa, oh, can, can I come and work on your land? So she said yes. And, oh, can I bring my friend with me because he's in a gay partnership with a man called David Garnett who wrote a book called Aspects of Love which Andrew Lloyd Webber later turned into a yeah, musical. musical yeah. So David turns up and then Duncan Grant and Vanessa Bell if you're still following they start to have an affair and the result of that affair is a little girl called Angelica and when Angelica grows up she gets married to David Garnett who was her father's old boyfriend so confused wow, you will be very bohemian lifestyle <laughs> yes, they led, right. didn't they so Absolutely. that was the bohemian lifestyle that everyone wrote about um but the group started to split up because of course the second world war the Bloomsbury squares are getting bombed you spoke yeah. about Mecklenburg square um there's a house there where Virginia Woolf lived she lived in several of the squares with her husband Leonard but that got uh, destroyed luckily she wasn't there at the time, but she and her husband went out to live in Lewis in Sussex and uh, the Bloomsbury set gradually went their separate ways. But they were attracted to that area because you've got the reading room at the British Museum and also it's the university area of London. Yeah. So you've got the intellectuals coming here and that's why they like it because you've got University College London just up the road and then later of course Senate House is built. Which and the is Royal there. Academy of Dramatic Arts Head there. Headquarters Rada yeah. came there yeah. in the 1930s. That was founded in 1904 in uh, the theatre, Her Majesty's Theatre by Mr Herbert Beerbohm Dree and then it moved in the 1930s to where so, yeah. it is uh, today. So yes you've got Rada, you've got uh, University College was known as the Godless College when that was first founded because it was the first university where you didn't have to be a member of the Church of England to go or indeed any church. So this was the first time that Quakers and Methodists and Jews and Muslims and agnostics and atheists and all these other religions could suddenly go to university. So that's why it was christened the Godless College there. And they've got those wonderful classical buildings that you see from the 1820s, designed by the same guy who designed the National Gallery in Trafalgar Square. And then inside the buildings there, actually, they've just moved him to another building, the auto-icon of Jeremy Bentham. Have you come across this? I haven't. But yeah, I, I you have might have read about it. Jeremy Bentham was a philosopher. He's sometimes um, written about as one of the founders of the university. He wasn't a founder, but apparently he was a shareholder. He was involved. And he was a lawyer and a philosopher. And when he died... He left his body, he wanted his body to be used for medical science, but that was against the law, but you could leave your body to a friend. And he had this idea <laughs> that his body, that the almost like mummification, that he should be dissected and everything used for research, but then he should be stuffed and dressed in his best suit. And he didn't intend to be 
put on display at University College in London. He thought maybe his friend, who was a doctor, might like to keep him in the front room. And Jeremy Bentham had this strange idea that you could have all your dead relatives stuffed and they could there could be a room where you could go and say hello to all those who had gone Ooh. before you. I don't uh, think most no, of us I don't think would like very, that. I've, you I've don't like having a stuffed, stuffed animals, a stuffed perhaps, cat, yes, or yeah. a stuffed dog. Anyway, he was stuffed and he ended up in the <laughs> University College London. He was in the main foyer and they've now moved it into one of their other buildings and they've given him a new glass case. But he's sitting there. It is his body there that's been stuffed, but his head is a wax head because apparently people kept stealing his head. So, uh, oh, and also sorry. the head is horrible. They did once have it on display as part of a special exhibition. And it's a bit scary because that it's rotted, obviously. Yeah, I can imagine. But on one occasion, it was stolen as part of a student rag week prank. So, ah. yeah, <laughs> the area is synonymous with sort of colleges and universities. So, Diane, the next time I go for a stroll, I've got plenty to look you at. Have and when we certainly. meet again, I'll tell yes. you that I found them. You certainly so, have. Yes. Once again, thank you very much indeed. Nice to see you again. Thank you. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.